It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. You're listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. More spring training action as we're previewing all the camps. We're doing the NL Central. Jesse Rogers from ESPN. We'll talk national baseball and we'll talk about the Cubs. The Cowboy, the former All-Star, the great reliever. Jeff Brantley turned play-by-play guy for the Reds. Jeff Levering, who does radio and TV for the Brewers. Sacramento Zone, and Greg Brown, the legendary voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Katie Wu, who covers the Cardinals for the Athletics. She's also covering the WBC. We got it all covered in the NL Central, and we'll start with Jesse Rogers from ESPN. Jesse, welcome back to Ace Cast Live. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are we doing back there? How we, are we doing? We were just doing a little geography because we always laugh whenever you play the White Sox, all the broadcasters repeatedly say south side south side so we always joke what side so the east side would be lake michigan and the west side right. would just be what suburbia till you get to, to iowa pretty much the west side is where the blackhawks and uh, and bulls play at the united center so we, that's the way we think of it south side is Sox, north side cubs west side is bulls but yeah if you just keep going west yeah iowa and beyond that's that's how it works so, obviously, being a national guy, we'll get into a lot of things going in baseball, but we're, we're previewing the Cubs today, and obviously that's in your backyard as we're doing every single team spring training. Uh, when you look at the Cubs only winning 74 games last year and you know, and having that back-to-back losing st- seasons for the first time since they really started their rebuild to finally win the World Series in 2016, but there's some interesting names that have come in. We were just talking about Dansby Swanson, his situation. His wife is a soccer star there. It seems like a really good fit, what he did in Atlanta, bringing that now to Chicago. How how do you see the Cubs going into this season? Yeah, I think their floor is higher than last year. I think in a worst-case scenario, they'll, they'll have more than 74 wins. I just don't know if their ceiling is all that much higher. I think their ceiling is probably right around 80, maybe a few more than that. If things break well, they did do a lot in the off season, but it, you, know, you just you can't confuse activity with accomplishment. Um, Swanson's a great signing; uh, it's just not enough to, to to sort of propel them into the next level, which is the Cardinals and and even a level above them, like the Phillies and Mets and Braves and those teams in the National League. So, are they better? I just don't know if they're elite. They will put the old axiom to test: pitching and defense wins championships. They have. Both those things. They just may not have enough offense. Pitching, uh, I'm sorry, defense usually never slumps. I don't see why it would here. Bellinger in the middle is great with Swanson and Horner. They have two good defensive catchers, so really strong up the middle. 
they have developed some pitching. They're deeper in pitching, and then maybe even when they won the World Series, um, if, if they if they need to go to six, seven, or eight starters, they have them. Um, they don't necessarily have that elite guy like Verlander or Scherzer. So it's a good team. Um, remains to be seen if they could be a great team. But they'll be in a lot of ball games. They'll probably win a few, three to two, lose a few, you know, ten to five, that kind of thing. But um, it's good. It's just a matter of whether they're going to be great or not. We were talking about it earlier with our TV guy, Glenn Kuyper, down at spring training, that, you know, we see teams traditionally, if they improve from the year before, one thing you can always guarantee, those teams got better in run prevention. We talk so much about scoring runs and home runs and walks and all this kind of stuff. If you get better defensively, you will win more games wouldn't you agree we don't talk enough about that? And especially this year, no shifting. The infielder is going to have to cover more ground, and they're going to have to be far better. Yeah, I mean, that's what the analytical people will tell you. Um, it, an improvement on defense does equal more wins. However, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies were not supposed to be any improvement on defense last year, and they made the World Series in part because they have a slugging team. Like, you still can fall back on that right uh, at the end of the day I, I do think pitching and defense is important but we know that 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 old axiom isn't completely true right it's a, a, a slugging offense in this day and age maybe it'll change without the shift is it, still a nice thing to have uh the braves won the world series with a home run or nothing team two years ago the phillies got pretty darn close this past year so yes all the nerds will tell you improve your defense but those are marginal improvements if you want to jump up into the elite group you need a deep slugging lineup just as much as you need good defense and pitching. Well, you look at the rotation, and if we say base best-case scenario, if you're throwing out Stroman and Hendricks and Tyon, who you brought over, I mean, you can kind of make a case that they're going to be competitive. I think if Hendricks returns from an injury, they're really deep. He's going to be about a month behind. Their young guys are actually pretty good as well. The other night, uh, Javier Assad, you've never heard of him, through three shutout innings against Team USA, pitching for Team Mexico. He was great. That's a Cubs pitcher who made his debut last year. Um, yeah, they, they're, like I said, they're not necessarily top-heavy. Uh, Stroman's a number one, Tyen's a number two, and in a great rotation, that'd probably be two and three for those guys. But they are deep, and actually, I think they could, ma- they could match the Cardinals' rotation. They really could. If you're counting on 41-year-old Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty returning from injury and Jordan Montgomery, and, you know, it's not uh, necessarily the best rotation in the, in the game, the Cardinals. I think the Cubs could match them there. I just don't think they can match them offensively when you're talking about Goldschmidt, Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, and, and, and now Wilson Contreras down there, at least offensively. St. Louis is definitely better than the Cubs in that category. What do you think can really happen with Cody Bellinger switching from L.A. to Chicago? A lot of people in the game have their doubts. Like, I'm, I'm going to try to uh, remain unbiased about it. I've talked to scouts that have watched him early. It's okay. Uh, even David Ross has said the swing looks a little bit better. We'll see without the shift how, how much, you know, it matters. But it's all proportionate. He might be a little bit better, but so will every other lefty against the Cubs as well. So the question is, can he be MVP better? Can he get back to 2018 I have my doubts he's, he's not going to see palm trees behind center field. He's going to feel the wind coming in for two months off the lake. Uh, you guys mentioned the lake earlier. It's not an easy place to hit for lefties all season, especially the first two months. I mean, there's been five left-handers 
in the history of the Cubs to hit 30 or more home runs in a season, and um, two of them have done it more than once. Uh, three of them have just done it once. So it's it's hard to do. The wind comes in off that lake. So if Bellinger is trying to do too much to sort of get back to his form, he's going to run into problems. He just needs to let the game come to him, get those extra hits through the right side, and you know let the power come when it comes, when the weather turns, when he's on the road, that kind of thing. So there's a lot sort of working against him. The one thing working for him is a change of scenery. Don't discount that. That could be a big deal. New voices talking to him in the hitting department, change of scenery, new fan base. I think that will help, but he needs to get past those first terrible months of weather, and let's see where it look, what it looks like at that point. And, and, you know, what I've been reading is that they got some prospects that are coming up, and I think it like first base is, is Eric Hosmer, who is now a Cubby, is he just a placeholder? Even Bellinger's just a placeholder. These guys are on one-year deals, could be flipped by by July if the Cubs aren't in it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Bellinger's more of a placeholder than 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 even um, Hosmer. I mean, Mancini's there for a couple of years, possibly. The prospect at first looks good, but um, he wasn't a major prospect, so he's making a name for himself. His name is Matt Mervis. He's actually playing on Team Israel right now. The guy in center is the guy they, they uh, got for Javi Baez from the Mets, Pete Crow Armstrong. His mother's an actress, actually. Uh, he looks like the real deal. He can, he can go get it in center right now. He could, he could be a gold glover right now. His, his, they, they're they're going to give him a year at AAA still to, to get his bat there. That's the real deal. Um, in center, they have kind of a, a prospect in left of half leads. And I say kind of just because he's had some injuries, Brennan Davis. Mervis is going to get his chance at first base. He looks and acts and hits like Anthony Rizzo, but still um, AAA level. He was a non-draftee in 2020 when they only had five rounds. So he's kind of come out of nowhere. Um, so there's a good prospect base. We'll see if it's it's almost like their pitching staff right now. It, it's not top-heavy. It's deeper than they've had. But if there's a star in that group, it's Pete Crow Armstrong in center field. Would you bet that the Cubs could win 80 games or more? Oh, I'd bet on that. Sure, I'd bet on that. I mean, if you if you raised it to 85, I would probably not bet on that. <laughs> I would not bet on that. I mean, you know, it's 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 a tight window. There, Vegas has them at 78, I believe. I'd probably. I mean, Cub fans are all hammering the over on that. I'd probably take the over, but with your guys' money, not my own. Like, I think it's going to be tight. It's going to be right around 80. I think playing more games outside their division hurts them more than helps them. There's a real divide among elite teams here, and the Cubs are kind of one of the few teams in the middle. I think the Diamondbacks are in that group. The Giants may be in that group. But uh, there's a lot of haves and have-nots. And right now, until further notice, the Chicago Cubs are in the have-nots category until they prove differently. And they might. Pitching and defense might win them a, a lot of games. We'll see. I mean, base, baseball has a saying like that for some for a certain reason. But let's see what it looks like over 162. That's That's my concern about both trying to win with pitching and defense. It's it's hard to do that over 162. Let's put your national hat on. And speaking of the haves and haves nots, you've got 11 teams spending under $100 million. You've got 11 teams if, you know, you're down at the winter meetings, you're down at spring training, you're talking to people from organizations. That's a good percentage of your sport that the owners are not happy with it. They, 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 they agreed to the new deal, but a lot of the bottom feeders, and we're one of them, they're not happy, and they're not spending money. Like I said, 11 of your teams are under $100 million. Just when you hear that, 
and what you're hearing, where are we right now with a lot of these teams that are like, you know what, we probably could spend a lot more money, but we're not? Well, I feel very little sorrow for those owners. They voted in that deal, I believe unanimously, um, even though there were a lot of complaints about that CBT going up um, without uh, necessarily a floor. Uh, there is revenue sharing going on, so you can't complain too much about that. But let's face it, one there, there, there's a lot of unknown facts, you know, the books of all these teams, you know, who's making money, who's not. But, but I'll say this about owners, right? Um, and, again, some of this is rest through through revenue sharing. But I think there's uh, this is factual. The New York market makes money more money for the Yankees than the Oakland market. I mean, that's factual. So yep. there is a disparity in revenues, but that should be addressed through revenue sharing. It still doesn't address the disparity, though, in, in payrolls. It's just it's just ridiculous to have a team at $90 million, $80 million, $70 million, and another team at $300 million. It's just, it, the, the NFL exists because they don't do that. The Green Bay Packers can be competitive simply because the system allows for them to do that. So I, I don't feel sorry for the owners, but I do think the system needs overhauling. Um, I think Rob Manfred you know, kind of is, is, in a, in a, is in a pickle here because – of the Padres. The Padres are spending despite being a small market. And instead of applauding them, the league is saying it's not sustainable. Don't look at the Padres as the blueprint. Well, I think fans of the A's or the Pirates should look at the Padres as a blueprint. Motivated owners will spend money to make money. And then here's the ultimate question. Here is the $1 million question. At the end of this year, however far the Padres go, will they make money? or lose money. And I don't know if we're ever going to get the real answer because we never get to see their books. But it's a real question. Does spending a turn in payroll and selling out your season ticket fan base and going to the postseason, inherently that should make them money, even though they're the 26th market. They may tell you it won't. The league may tell you it won't. I just don't know what to believe anymore. And that the San Diego Padres, are the poster child for all this thing because it's really the first small market team to spend like a drunken sailor. All right, let's end on this. We know you only have so much time. Uh, WBC, do you like it? And do you think some of the criticism about not maybe having all the best players in it, pitchers can only pitch so much, do you think that's fair? I don't love it. I don't love it. I don't like anything that involves uh, I have to talk to my parent club before I can do this or do that. And I've heard manager Mark DeRosa say that we need to talk to their parent club. I mean, it's, it's like literally like talking to the little league parents. Hey, can I pitch Johnny another day in a row here? <laughs> I guess there's no perfect answer. Maybe you take a month break mid season every four years to run a tournament like that. So everyone can play at their peak. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it feels a little goofy. Not the best players are there. And, and the players that are under restrictions. I mean, I'll enjoy the semifinals and the finals. It'll be competitive, but I'm covering it every day, and I'm hearing about, you know, calling my parent club and all this stuff. I don't think anybody watching can say it's a perfect tournament or they enjoy it like they would the World Series, but it does break up the monotony of spring training, I guess. You could say that for players and media and fans. You know, it's something interesting in spring training. So I guess I'll say I don't love it, but I don't mind it either. Are we making sure that they have orange slices and apple juice for after the games? 
Well, I mean, if they pitch too many innings, they might hear from their parents' <laughs> club after the game, just like a parent might say something to their coach. Hey, man, my kid's got tryouts in three years at travel baseball. You're throwing him too much. So, or you're not throwing him enough usually to hear from parents. So, yeah, all that Little League stuff kind of applies. It's kind of funny to hit, listen to Rosa talk about, you know, oh, man, I got I can't pitch uh, uh, Lynn, Lynn for three more days. He threw 65 pitches. So, it is a little weird and to be an international big-time tournament and have these Little League rules attached to it, but it is what it is. Hey, we always appreciate the time. Great stuff. Enjoy the rest of the spring, uh, the rest of spring training, and we'll talk to you during the regular season. You got it. Take care, guys. Jeff, are you there? Hello. I'm here. Welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. How are you? Uh, we, we, I was just, you know, before, we, before you came on, we were just talking about your team at Mississippi State, about the greatness uh, of what you had with, with uh, Palmero and Clark, yourself, and Thigpen. And, and to think, like, you guys are like the early stars of college baseball on ESPN, on cable television, and to think where college baseball is now in Omaha. But you guys really were the trendsetters and got that all started. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing when you when you look back because I mean we didn't we didn't think of ourselves as being trendsetters. We were just kids playing ball and knew we had a chance to get to the World Series and hopefully try to win it. Um, but you look back and you you see all the things that have happened since then, especially these stadiums. I tell you what, you go around in the SEC and you look at some of these baseball stadiums. They're as big as the football stadiums were when I was playing baseball. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've said about the SEC, it's like there's so much money from football coming in, and you can only build so many weight rooms and locker rooms and rehab facilities, and that all the money from television and all the money from the gate, it's starting to filter into all the different sports and all of the facilities. You can talk softball. You can talk whatever you want to talk about. The money in the SEC is insane. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, But, I mean, from an entertainment value, I think you get what you pay for. I think people love sports. Um, especially the big three, and I, I think people enjoy coming to the ballpark. I know that when you come, when you come to a Mississippi State baseball game, I mean, it's, it's like an event. I mean, the town pretty much shuts down and everybody's there. I mean, you're talking about all the cities drawing in, around, in and around Starkville and throughout Mississippi. It's, it's kind of crazy, but, um, you know, I mean, who else draws 12, 13, sometimes 15,000 for a baseball game? I know that's just that is so impressive and we were talking about obviously your great career and what you did here in the Bay Area no one's ever going to forget uh obviously you're on the San Francisco Giants Wall of Fame uh, you, you know for you as a former all-star you've led the league in saves you did everything as a player you're doing something that really not too many people have ever done is be great also at play-by-play we see so many ex-players go into color, you're one of the very few who was an all-star as a player and then also as a play-by-play guy. What has that meant to you to really have two distinguished careers in our great game? Well, I I don't know that I'm great at doing play-by-play. I I enjoy it. And to be honest with you, when I was was a 9, 10-year-old kid, I didn't dream of being a Major League Baseball player. I dreamed of being Mel Allen or Keith Jackson. That's what I wanted to do. I I was always a fan of the voices. I can remember sitting in my car with my dad 
listening to Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall because I was a Reds fan growing up. And, I mean, I lived in Hoover, Alabama. I, I was nowhere near Cincinnati. I just liked the big red machine. Yeah. <laughs> I could just see you now like Keith Jackson. You could have been doing the Rose Bowl. <laughs> the granddaddy of them all. <laughs> <laughs> my, oh, my, it's the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Keith Jackson w- was one of the greats. When we look at this Cincinnati Reds team, I, I I think it's very similar to what we have going on in Oakland right now. It's about looking at young players. It's about looking at the future. How's spring going for the Reds? I think it's going really good. Um, I think it's surprising at this point simply because um, – I didn't. I didn't know that we would have guys move this quickly or be this good this quickly. Uh, it's really the the first visual impression that we've gotten from some of the trades that we saw last year, especially those of us that are only with the big league club. Um, you know, I, I look at our top prospect, Ellie De La Cruz, who has always been in in our system, and I look at where he was last year compared to where he is now. Um, not just from a performance perspective but from a body perspective um, I've got a 15 year old I understand how they grow and um, mature and, and get bigger kids are doing that and uh, Matt McClain a kid that we drafted a couple of years ago uh, looks outstanding this spring we got a, we got two players Edwin Arroyo and Noel V. Marte from the Mariners in the Luis Castillo trade and both of those kids uh they hold their own, and I mean, they are very, very young, and I, and I don't know that they're particularly close to the big leagues at this point, but they've sure showed off this spring thus far. Well, then you got David Bell, who's just loving this Christian Encarnacio Strand kid, and obviously with Joey Votto going to not start the season with the club, uh, could you see this Strand being at first base for the team? I think that you could. I, I think that that's probably – a. Um, a best case scenario kind of dream dream about it uh you know as well as i do you, you come into spring training guys that are dead fastball hitters they like to they like to swing early don't walk much they usually hit well in the early part of camp and then they kind of dwindle as the pitchers sharpen up and you start to see more major leaguers that are that are pitching there those last couple of weeks but i will say this for Christian Encarnacion Strand, if he continues to hit the last couple of weeks the way he has in the beginning of spring training, you'd be foolish not to take him. Why not ride a red-hot bat, even if it peters out at the end of April or takes you into May, because Votto's not going to be ready. Yeah, and Joey Votto, we just love Joey Votto. I mean, what a career he's had, his personality, the guy who he is. Uh, he's just a treasure there in Cincinnati. Uh, are we looking at this as the last ride for sure for Joey Votto? I think it probably is. And even though nobody really talks about that, Joey doesn't talk about it. The Reds don't talk about it. Um, it it's one of those things that, you know, it's pretty much inevitable when you really look at this in a, in a grand scheme. And I think deep down, Votto probably realizes that. I think that's one of the reasons that he is, so much out in the community and so much out in the in the public eye right now with with Reds folks simply because he, he kind of senses it. Um, is it is it a guarantee that he won't be back next year? I don't know that, that that it's a guarantee. A lot of it has to do with his health and how he how he plays and finishes uh, the season this year. But I just don't see him being able to to start on time, especially with the trauma from the surgery that he had. How important is it? 
you know, you saw a lot of it in, in, in your day, and we don't see a lot of it anymore. You know, guys that are with an organization for a long, long time, and they spend their careers in one spot. And I'm looking at his age now, 38, heading into 39. Just how important is it for, like, a place like Cincinnati to have that one player, to have your guy for, for all those years and all these kids who grow up to have that one player to root for? I think it's important. I, I think it's something that the game is – really diminished because of how free agency has bounced players from one team to another based on salary expectations. But if you can get a guy like Votto that begins his career in a spot, uh, draws the attention, especially of young fans, and then he takes that fan from age 10, 15 years old. I mean, Votto will have played 15, 16 years by the time he's done here in Cincinnati. So you're looking at a kid that started when he maybe was in high school and now he's married and he's got a couple of kids of his own and he's telling them about how good Joey Votto was when he was a rookie. Yeah. I he's I I I do believe he'll get into the baseball hall of fame. Will you agree with that? I do too. I do too. All right, let's look at the rotation because obviously ever since Hunter Green was coming out of L.A., we knew he was special. He's going to be the opening day starter. There is talent. There is, when you start looking at the rotation to the relievers, talk about the talent on the staff. Well, I think that's the great expectation for for the Reds as as they move towards their rebuild and the the future of this ball club. It it has to revolve around – uh, pitching that, that you develop. Uh, this club is not going to go out and, and spend major dollars in free agency on pitching. Maybe one player here or there to put you over the top, but that's few and far between. Uh, and Hunter Green, uh, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcraft. You you can write those names down every fifth day as long as they're healthy. And, and the Cincinnati hopes are going to ride on those three guys. Is it a lot of pressure? Sure it is. But it, it's, it's the nature of the game now. And these three were – making a lot of starts last year. The Reds kind of handled them with kids' gloves, and, and I think they'll continue to kind of monitor those three guys because they're the three that have shown tremendous signs of success, but they haven't logged a whole lot of innings in their careers in professional ball. None of the three have. So it's not like you can expect those three guys to go out and rack up 200 innings this year either. I mean, if they got to 180, I think that would be pretty special. But all three of these guys, Uh, could be number ones in the future. I I think that they understand the pitching aspect. I think they understand the team aspect. And probably as much as anything, they flat out work at it. So it it makes you excited about the future of your staff. Now you've got to build a team around them. Well, you've had some time to uh, call games with the pitch timer. What are your thoughts about where baseball is going with the clock? You know, I, I really like it. I, I think that as, as we have kind of evolved and become accustomed to guys stepping out of the batter's box or us pitchers walking around the mound and maybe talking to ourselves out there, I, I think we've, we've stretched the game too far. And I, and I think the, the interest has kind of waned from a, from a public perspective. But you put that clock in, I'm telling you what, fans are going to be blown away by how quick the game is going to be. If you haven't seen a game – live and in spring training, uh, when, you, when you pull up for opening day, you're going to be amazed because the action never stops. Well, let's end on this. We have a change in schedule. Everybody is going to play everybody now, far different from when you first got into the, the big leagues. How do you like the fact that you're going to see everybody now in a season? 
Well, I, I think it's I think it's great for baseball. I think there are still some holdouts out there that would like to see more games played inside your division and not so much on the interleague side. But I, I think from just from a competition perspective, I, I think everybody's going to enjoy this. I think fans will enjoy it more having – I mean, think about this. Cincinnati fans have never seen Mike Trout, maybe the greatest player in the game, and they've never seen him come to Cincinnati. So I, I think that's a cool thing that the Reds will be able to do that. Uh, not only with Mike Trout, but other great players and stars throughout the game. And I think that makes it fun. Well, I know you're not going to say it, so I'm going to say it for you. What a career, the fact of what you did as a player, what you did here in the Bay Area as a San Francisco Giant. I know those times mean a lot to you. And what you've done as a play-by-play guy, not many have done it in the history of the game. You've had an unbelievable career. It's always an honor to have you on the program. Uh, Continue to enjoy spring training and can't wait to see you during the season. Thank you, Chris. Love talking to you, man. Take care. Jeff Brantley, the Cowboy. Yeah. You know, and in the 80s, his slider was nasty. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, the pride of Sacramento. Jeff Levering joins us once again from the Brew Crew. How are you? I'm great. How you doing, Chris? Everything uh, good? Every well, no, because yesterday was my last day at spring training. So I let. So yesterday, I'm at Ho Ho Cam. We're we're taking. Uh, who are we playing? We were playing the Padres. It was beautiful. I was sitting outside, and then uh, I don't know if you've been back to Northern California lately, but you'd be amazed because I know you spent a lot of time going up to Tahoe. You'd be amazed at the amount of snow and rain we have gotten. I heard that uh, Tahoe is actually shut down for the weekend, right? Because people couldn't get through it and Correct. they were worried about avalanche stuff. No, I, I have never heard of that in my time. Of course, you had the chains and you always had to work on what was going on when you were driving up 50 or 80, but I've never heard of Tahoe actually being closed. Okay, this is crazy. So we had this, uh, Steve Vucinich, our longtime equipment manager, retired after 52 years. We had this big party on Saturday night and... I got shown pictures, so it's it's 80. You're on Highway 80, and you're, yeah. dri- you're driving, and it's this just – it's like you're driving through a canyon, right? And the wall – it's up over 50 feet, and you're driving through this canyon of snow on, on – it's like you can't – I couldn't believe the pictures. It's like oh you're, my dri- gosh. you're driving through a canyon, and it's all just impacted snow. It's like, what the hell are they going to do when it melts? Well, I mean, that's a good thing for Folsom Lake and everybody yeah. else because you need the water. There's no doubt about that. And then Southern California is probably going to take the rest of Colorado's water. So you just, you know, that's all part of it. It's all, it, it'll all be good thing once it all melts. It's great for the skiers once they open up 80 again. But, you know, global warming, that's another conversation for another time and another 15 cocktails. But we're going to wait. We're, we're going to, hey, if you want to come out and go skiing on July 4th, let us know. <laughs> I've got plenty of snow in Wisconsin, man. We're all right. We're doing just fine. You know, I getting ready for this and just checking in on the Brewers. It kind of reminds me this year. Well, last year, 
You know, because the A's, we went to the playoffs three straight years. And then all of a sudden, 2021, we were still in it, still going for it, and we fell short at 86 wins. The Brewers last year remind me uh, of what the A's were in 2021. And now you come into this year, and it's going to, wouldn't you say it's going to be a real interesting year? I would agree with that statement, Chris. I think that I know that the Brewers are going to pitch. That's a number one. They have an outstanding rotation. They have one of the best closers in baseball and Devin Williams. And that's even after the trade of Josh Hader last year, I think they did a good job in the off season of improving their offense. I think Brian Anderson is going to be a nice little update Uh, at third base. You could play some of the outfield. Uh, William Contreras behind the plate is going to be a great offensive boost. Brewers got him in the three-way deal with Oakland and Atlanta. Um, It's just a matter. The biggest question mark is, are they going to be able to hit consistently? And number two, what's the bridge from the starters to Devin Williams? That's Those are the roles that need to be won here in spring training and and really what people are fighting for right now. Well, Matt Bush is a great story. I mean, I remember coming out of San Diego, Mission Bay High was a train wreck as the number one overall pick, but – kind of resurrected his career with the Rangers and then now what he's doing, you know, so that, that is a good story. But when you talk about offense and I just think two guys, I think right away, I think Telez and I think Yelich, how much will they benefit without the shift? Two of the biggest benefits, I think in major league baseball, because of the shift, if you were watching the world baseball classic last night, Telez hit two rockets to the right side that would have been base hits otherwise, but they're still playing in the shift in the world baseball classic. So he could have easily had five hits in that game last night. And for Christian Yelich, he's hitting with a lot more power this spring, whether it translates to the regular seasons to be determined. But I I think that he has a really good mental outlook on what's going to happen in 2023. It's been a really tough couple of years for him. And even if you look at the numbers last year, they weren't what they were in 18 and 19 when he was an MVP and then MVP runner up. He still had a pretty decent season. Um, and if he can provide what he did last year, scored almost 100 runs, got on base at almost a 40% clip uh, at the top of the lineup, he's going to be fine. I think Rowdy's going to drive in a ton of runs. Um, Willie Adamas in the middle of the lineup who had 30, 30 homers and almost drove in 100 from shortstop position is very underrated in a lot of different aspects in, in terms of National League shortstops. Um, you got a couple of rookies that are they're going to have an opportunity to shine too with Garrett Mitchell in center field pending his hamstring situation, maybe South Freelick moving on as well. So I, I think the Brewers have a lot more punch in the lineup than they had a season ago. Yeah, Domus has been such a great score for you guys. I remember that was yeah. a trade you went, really, they're going to give him up and go to Mo- Tampa's giving him up. I mean, he's been huge. Yeah, I mean, you could understand from Tampa's perspective because they had Wander Franco, and yeah. what are you going to do? You're not going to move Wander Franco off a shortstop, and, and he's going to be a star for a long time. But I, I don't think that Tampa realized what type of clubhouse influence that Willie Adamas was going to be when he came to Milwaukee. They knew what they had personality wise. He's an amazing human being. And that I, Tampa knew that, but as soon as he got to Milwaukee, he's been the bona fide leader in that clubhouse. And, and nobody has to even ask the question, who's the leader. It's Willie Adamas. And he was that way from the moment he stepped on the field. So speaking of clubhouse, and this is kind of the thing that's interesting is, you know, about the future of the Brewers. You know, with the A's, we, you know, movement with players with us in years where we have our runs, where we go three, four years in the playoffs or we're not doing well, there's always going to be movement, right? Everybody is just used to that. When you talk movement with 
the Brewers. Let's start before we get to arbitration, which arbitration cases can be horrific. Uh, just how bad was it when Hader was traded? From the outside, it sounded it just crushed the team. What was it like being around the team when Hader was traded to San Diego? Well, I mean, it happened on an off day, and and you could tell when the team showed up to the ballpark the next day, which was August 2nd, um, that it affected players in different ways. And listen, I, I think the Brewers, after the season was over, they realized that they had made a mistake. Some wor- some things work out, some things don't. And I, I think that they had to eat a little bit of crow for that, and Rightfully so. Um, and the numbers bear it out. In the last two months of the season, they blew 16 saves. Uh, and that doesn't all happen in the ninth inning. That happens in the sixth. It happens in the seventh. And numbers are what they are. Uh, but you could you could tell um, that, that it was affecting the club. But at the end of the day, Craig Council did a nice job. And he said, hey, listen, guys, this is the team that we have. This is the team that we have. No one is coming in. And doing anything else, we can't make any other trades. This is the team that we have, and if we want to make a run, and the team was still in first place at that point, this is the group that's going to get it done. They fell a couple of games short. So it did affect the team. There's no doubt about that. But they've moved on from it. They've moved on from everything from 2022. Um, And I think it motivated them moving forward to 2023 as well. Uh, Josh Hader is a great talent, and he's going to have another good year for the San Diego Padres, I'm sure. Uh, He's going to make a lot of money because he did in, in arbitration. Um, and we wish him well. We just hope he doesn't pitch well when the Brewers come to town. That's all. Hey, I, I, I can tell you, you, you want crazy from last year's spring training. So we wake up in the morning. It's going to be the A's against the Padres. Shamanai yeah. is pitching for the A's. That's what the plan is. We show up. Shamanai has been traded to the Padres. Sean Mania shows up to our clubhouse. He's in tears. Pitchers are in tears hugging him. He goes over to the Padres clubhouse, and he's still going to pitch against us. And he goes out there. He's in a brown uniform with a green glove and green cleats. So we've seen everything. <laughs> I mean, it, these trades are so weird. And yeah. the way that they affect clubhouses, I remember the, the Seattle-Houston trade for Kendall Graveman, Former right? A, yeah. And it totally affected – the way that the Seattle Mariners finished out the season in 2021, 100% it affected it. Jerry DePoto came out and he said, I made a mistake. I didn't realize how it was going to affect the clubhouse. Those guys, and it's one of Corbin Burns' best friends too, right? Their kids were born very close in age. Their wives were great friends. They'd come through the system together. It affects people in different ways. It really does. And you don't realize that until they're gone. And again, I think the Brewers are a really tight knit group. They're a team that has always been preached about connectiveness. Craig Council has one of his biggest things since he became the manager. We have to stay connected. Whoever is in this clubhouse, we have to stay connected. And that was just a moment for the last two months of the season where it just didn't feel like there was great connection. Well, when when I think about arbitration now, all of us are going to sit here and go, what are we doing? It's 700 grand or whatever it is. That's tip money in Major League Baseball. But our friends over at SiriusXM, the front office show, Jim Duquette and Jim Bowden, their Sunday show, which is great. We have them both on the program. They explained it in the front office view saying they didn't like it. They're like, just pay the guy. But then they said, you know. There's precedence. There's you know. There's arbitration. What baseball wants you to fight? Whatever. It's just ugly when you go to arbitration. And we we've talked about Corbin Burns and that whole deal. Uh, I've I've read that 
he has met with the front office, but still it's just it's an ugly situation. What is it like all of this drama over just seven hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, I think they've moved on from it, to be honest with you. They they did sit down. Matt Arnold sat down with Corbin Burns, and they hashed it out, and they had their conversation that they needed to have. And at the end of the day, Corbin Burns needs to still go out, and he needs to pitch. Um, it, and it's the old adage, right? If you don't like it, then play better. I've heard that my entire life, right? As a player, I heard it in the minor leagues. Guys trying to get up to the big leagues, if you don't like it, then play better. Corbin Burns deserves as much money as he can get. He has been one of the best pitchers in baseball for the last three seasons. Um, you know, arbitration, I think the process sucks. It is what it is. Players are going to complain about it. But when was the last time you heard a team complain that they lost an arbitration hearing, right? You don't hear the teams complain when they lose one. So I think both sides were equally at fault in that situation. Uh, but at the end of the day, Corbin Burns knows what he needs to do to be successful. I think he's going to use it as, as motivation in 2023. And we'll see what happens. It, it's an ugly situation. And if it was me and I was in that situation, I would not be in the room. I wouldn't be in the room. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up just play better because when you were at Chapman and you were at Rancho Cucamonga, we were saying that on this show. Hey, Levering's just got to broadcast better. <laughs> I, I did. I tried to. Yeah. I wasn't very good my first couple of years, man. And that's probably why when I was in college, I went from being a starter to a starter and then a total bench player my last two years. I didn't like it, but I didn't play better either. Rancho Cucamonga, the good old days. That's right, man. That's right. And you were talking about Matt Bush. I remember seeing him. He was the sto the opening day shortstop in the first game I ever called in 2007. And Bartolo Colon started against him for Rancho Cucamonga. Was it? Were they Lake Elsinore then? Yeah, the Storm. Yeah, the good old that way back. I mean, way back when I did San Jose Giants. The good old days of the Cal League, baby. That's right, buddy. The Cal. Good old League. Joe Rizzo in the Cal League. Uh, so when you think about Woodruff Burns, are, are they here throughout the season? Do they get traded? I mean, it's a fluid situation, obviously. Yeah, I have no idea how they're going to work that, but I mean, the, the guys are going to pitch their best. I think that Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, Woodruff is a horse. I would hitch my wagon to him any day of the week. Same with Corbin Burns. Um, I think, and can they still have some control as well in terms of arbitration for next year? Freddie Peralta is locked up to a long-term deal. Eric Lauer, uh, the Brewers bring in Wade Miley to eat some innings at the back end of the rotation, and, and he's been great if he can stay healthy. And Adrian Hauser, they, they're poised to make a nice long run. They've got six legitimate starters. And then Aaron Ashby, who hopefully comes back at some point in June with his shoulder situation, he's going to throw from flat ground today for the first time in six weeks. So hopefully he's able to come back and make some sort of a – you know, a contribution to the starting rotation or long relief in the bullpen. So th they have a ton of starters at their disposal. And, you know, long gone, Chris, you know, that starting pitchers, you don't have five. There, no. There's no way that you have five over the given season. It just doesn't happen anymore. So the more depth you have, the better you're going to be. And the Brewers are in a great, great position for that. I know Bob Melvin real close with council and they're buddies. And Bob would tell us how good Craig is. And he's a great mind, obviously, him and Bob going all the way back to their D-backs days. Uh, maybe it's not talked about enough, but, you know, Craig Council, what a terrific player, uh, but he's been a, a fantastic manager for a long time. Just underrated. Uh, well, he Us in baseball know how good he is, but he doesn't get the spotlight like some, like some of the guys do. But just talk about he really is a special leader. 
Yeah, he really is. And I talked about being connected with the club, right? So he he manages and he has this knack of taking all of this information that he gets from the front office and then everything he gets from his scouting department and everything he gets from advanced scouts and coaches. And he has this great way of digesting it to make it make sense. I was thinking about this as I was on the treadmill today running. And I said, how does Craig take all of this information and then, you know, all some of these new school managers, right, that are trying to take this game plan from the front office, how do they implement that? Because baseball, you can't plan it. You could have the first pitch of the game and your pitch, your starting pitcher goes down and then it's just, what the hell's going to happen, right? You can't plan for the stuff that happens in baseball. And that's what I think makes, makes Craig so great is that he has this great knack of taking, okay, who's available to me? Who can I use today? But I'm also thinking about the next day. And then the next day after that, who needs a, who needs a blow in the outfield? Who needs to take a, a turn at DH today to get off their feet? He's always thinking about that next move. He's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers. And then he has, again, just the personal attributes to go up to a player and say, hey, listen, what do you need today? Do you need, do you need to take a day off? Hey, why don't you not take ground balls today and just take a breather? Why don't you get a little extra treatment? He is so great at being a personal human being with these players because he knows what it's like. He maximized every ounce of athletic ability. And I think that's what he relates to every single player. He has no prima donnas in his roster. They just don't last in this organization. You know, you think about some organizations and you go through the club bus, you go, man, that guy was kind of a turd. The Brewers haven't had any turds <laughs> since Craig Council has been the manager. And I, I don't think that that's a coincidence. And I think the best move that the Brewers did was go back to the old school colors and designs. Because, you know, someone who grew up, you know, it's Robin Yount, Paul Mulder, Harvey, Cecil Cooper, Harvey's Wallbangers, yeah. right? That was such a great look. I'm so glad. The merch, because I now say I saw it in the airport last night leaving Arizona. The merch for the Brewers is back. Yeah, it's really cool. The ball and glove logo is really awesome. I think one of the great logos is the just the baseball with the seams that are in the wheat. Um, the, there's another logo that they took the state of Wisconsin. It's one of the patches, and it's brick. With the, It's just such a clean look. Um, they're not messing around with it anymore. I think they did such a great job in the redesign prior to 2020. Um, now my closet's filled with all of this great Brewers swag yeah. that if I ever ended up working for another team, I, I would have zero clothing to wear because it's all <laughs> Brewers stuff because it's so great. All right, so do we come to you or do you come to us? You guys come to us this year, and then we'll be in Oakland next season. All right. Yeah, well, looking I, forward to it. Well, we'll talk to you again soon. I, I wish we were seeing you here, but uh, hopefully our paths will cross, if not spring training. And uh, it's always great to bring you back home. Yeah, likewise, Chris. It's always a pleasure, and I'm thrilled for Johnny. I know Johnny's coming on the show, yeah. too. And Johnny came from Sacramento, where I'm from. I'm just so thrilled that he's got the opportunity to be in the big leagues full-time. I, I, I can't wait to see Johnny in Milwaukee. Are you a big Kings fan? I, I'm I'm lighting the beam, buddy. Let's go. I haven't been this excited since the old Mike Bibby and Peja days. Oh, hey, passion for purple is back. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna have to dust this the king stuff off. It's not gonna go over well in Bucks territory, but that's all right. Well, I mean, I, we don't have to hear the well back when Rick Adelman and you know back when Weber and Peja. Ah, the Kings are building something here. 
Yeah, I think it's great. I, I'm going to have to really dust off my Scott Pollard jersey, okay? <laughs> That's awesome. All right, buddy, you be well. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Take care, Chris. Thanks for having me. Jeff Levering, the play-by-play voice. He does TV and radio for the Milwaukee Brewers. Greg, how are you? Hey, it's hey, Gary, it's Gary guys. guys. Yeah, that was Gary. No, he's missing. <laughs> Hey, so how how is it down there in Pittsburgh? It's uh, it's doing. Yeah, you know, we're we're. Enjoy- I'm actually here watching. Believe it or not, we play the uh, Yankees in Tampa tonight, and I'm not doing the game, so I decided to swing by, which I rarely do, the ballpark, uh, just to see if anything's going on. And I happened to catch uh, some infield drills going on, which is uh, kind of cool up here in the. Uh, broadcast area so I'm in, I'm enjoying it weather's great as always it's always interesting with the Yankees too because we'll see those games on MLB Network at night because you know here in Arizona nobody plays at night but the Yankees will play at night some of the teams in Florida just how different is that in spring training where a night game in spring training that's so odd for us we are playing for the first time ever, and I haven't asked anybody. We're playing five games under the lights this spring. Normally, there's always one game here at LeeCom where the Pirates play, the former McKechnie Field. Uh, there's always one night game. But for whatever reason, they've decided to put the, not just the Pirates uh, night game, annual night game, but I think they play two in uh, Sarasota, and this will be the second in Tampa under the lights. I think the players like it. It breaks things up. and. You know, it's more like the regular season. Yeah. I think. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And I think it's actually, you know, when you talk about getting players ready to have games on television, to have games on night. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Uh, definitely when you're starting to get ready. So, I mean, for the Bucks, I mean, raise the Jolly Roger. We, we love the call. <laughs> we want to we want to hear a lot of it uh, and see a lot of it. And of course, my producer is such a huge pirate fan. Uh, how do you see the Pirates going so far this spring? I, I know they got to score more runs. A lot of teams, the A's, were in the same boat. Well, you're right, Chris, and I know uh, your producer is a great uh, a great Bucko fan, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate that uh, you and he and the guys are having me on here. In terms of how things are going this spring, you asked the question, and I honestly will answer it for you. Uh, it's been a disappointment for me. Um, I know it's just spring training and wins and losses for the most part are meaningless, but it, it's, it's been a disappointment and they have less than two weeks to get their act together, to be blunt. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're out here working hard. The outfield play has been less than stellar to be kind. They have dropped fly balls. Now every year, Andy Van Slyke, the longtime pirate all-star and gold glover, when he was with the pirates, he always used to say that this State and this ballpark in particular, the hardest places to play defense center field were here in Florida, and in particular, this former McKechnie field now called LeeCom. For the variety of reasons, the wind plays havoc, the the way the, the sun shines in the sky, the clear skies oftentimes cloudless. Um, it's it's uh, and this year is the worst. I can recall, I've been doing this a long, long time. This is the worst spring training I've seen for pirate outfielders. Wow. 
And Andy Vance like was as good as it gets going to get it. Yeah. Some people, you know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of people say Oakland is one of the toughest skies. And I always go, well, how's the sky different in Oakland than anywhere else? Like, how's it different? How is the sky different in Florida than it is anywhere else? It's always funny when people can't find fly balls out there. It's like, well, why is it different here versus everywhere else? I mean, the sky looks the same. I, I don't get it. I don't know whether it's because the way the, the, the ballpark is designed, you know, where the, the, the diamond is actually situated and that that's a, a, a different uh, look at the sun, at the sky, maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why that is. And I don't think Van Slyke or anybody else has truly defined why this place is such a difficult place. To, but I do know, Regardless of how difficult it is, they better they better start catching the ball because as you you alluded to this. The Pirates are much like Oakland, a team that just cannot you know you're not not going to out hit guys, you're not going to out bop them. The only way you're going to win games is to try to out pitch your opponent and scratch runs the way you can, but you've got to play good defense. It's the only shot you have. What's going to happen with Reynolds? I think that he at the very least is going to be here through the first half of the season. And my guess is that they will continue to talk his agent and the pirates about trying to keep him here. And if something doesn't get done, you know, I think they would probably after the, around the deadline, they would start to entertain offers for him. Uh, that's my guess. His situation is uh, exactly like the JT real Muto situation before he went to Philadelphia. He, Real Muto is represented by the same agent. Real Muto had three years left with the Marlins, just like Brian Reynolds. Real Muto had the best year of his career to that point with the Marlins, which turned out to be his final year. And then he was traded uh, after the season to the Philadelphia Phillies. So my guess is that they'll try and get something done, some kind of an extension, hope to work it out. And if not, you know, I think they'll start to entertain offers. Yeah, that's tough because he, he, he is a special player and you want to keep the guys that have been around who know how to play to help the O'Neill Cruz guys learn how to play baseball and start winning in Pittsburgh again. Because, that you know, the thing for me is that I, I know there's been long stretches, the 20 years and everything, but I, I still grew up though with the We Are Family Pirates. I think of the great tradition of Pittsburgh. I think of the great tradition with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I just think of Pittsburgh as a winning town. It's just tough to think about a, another tough season. And, and when are the young players, when is a rebuild going to start to pay off? Well, you're right. It's a great sports town. It's a, it's, you know, not unlike almost every city in the country. I've said this for a long time, Chris, uh, having done, I actually did Bill's football during their Super Bowl runs. And yeah. I tell people in Pittsburgh, I spent a lot of my adult life in Pittsburgh and it's almost blasphemous to tell them that Pittsburgh is a winner's town. It's as good a baseball town as any in the country. It's as good a football town as any in the country. Hockey, yeah. But, but you, you have to, yeah, hockey, you have to win. You know, I think that the Penguins are starting to experience that a little bit. Uh, uh, you're seeing a lot of empty seats now. People are starting to realize their run may be over. Uh, I've been to Steeler games where if they feel like they're not in it, uh, there are a lot of empty seats. It's all about winning. It always has been. And when the Pirates were winning in 13, 14, and 15, they filled PNC Park. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all about winning. And, and Bob Nutting, the owner of the Pirates, said in, when spring training kicked off about a month ago that uh, 
he doesn't want to really, and I'm paraphrasing, doesn't really want to talk about rebuild anymore. The time to start winning more games is now. The general manager, Ben Charrington, has said as much. So this, there is some pressure now, I think, on some of the people involved in running the Pirates this year. Uh, I don't think anybody has a grand illusion of trying to win a division. I think that's, uh, you know, silly talk right now, this year anyway. But it's not silly to suggest that they should, you know, certainly avoid 100 losses again. They've lost 100 games two straight years. And if you count the, uh, the asterisk season of 2020, though I really discount the season entirely, and I always say without disrespecting the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays, to me, 2020 was a nothing burger. It really didn't happen. Uh, it was a 60-game season. But if you're one who believes that it counts, then the Pirates, if you extrapolate the 60 games, they would have lost 100 in 2020. So bottom line is they can't lose 100 games again. They've got to start winning more games. Now, they won only 62 last year, so it would be a modest step forward, but a step forward nonetheless if they were to go, say, win 70 to 75. That would be a step forward. You're talking about the rebuild, starting to see some of the younger players uh, graduate, get to the big leagues. We saw O'Neill Cruz make his major league debut last year. Saw Mitch Keller take a big step in the rotation. Starting to see other players, Rossi Contreras, uh, was part of the rotation and should be this year and some others as they kind of again take that step forward my hunch is that the the opportunity to go to postseason play and maybe get involved in a, a pennant chase would be sometime next year but that doesn't discount this year and can't throw it away you've got to start winning more games this year I mean, if you told us after only winning, what, 60 games last year, if you told us 75 wins, we'd take it right now with the A's. That would be absolutely huge progress. I think Key Bryant signed the extension. Uh, you got McCutcheon coming back in. Van Troy comes in. Uh, but let's talk about Andrew McCutcheon. How, how, I mean, he was the favorite. He was the MVP. He was the star. He was in the All-Star game. He represented Pirates baseball. How fired up? I know this is the last raw, but how fired up are Pirates fans to have him back? Well, he said when he when he uh, we had the press conference at PNC Park to reintroduce him to a uh, a sold-out audience in the press conference room at PNC Park that this was not his farewell tour. He said he's not uh, here to to be a, a, a PR guy for the Pirates. He said, I'm here to try and win. I'm not done. It's not one and done. And uh, it. bottom line is, Chris, it was a feel-good story. It still is. A lot of buzz in Pittsburgh. It's. It was really a rarity, and I tried to look back in Pittsburgh sports history. I don't know that there's anything like it. And it's rare in sports that a guy who accomplished what he did his first nine years in an organization, went away not on his own accord. He was traded and spent five years away. And then he contacts the owner of the team to come back, which McCutcheon did. Uh, someone suggested that maybe Ken Griffey Jr., when he went back to Seattle at the end of his career, is something similar. Uh, now, I'm not saying uh, McCutcheon is Albert Pujols, but obviously recently Pujols did decide to go back to St. Louis for one Pujols also left on his own accord as a free agent. And I think that soured the taste of, of, of many Cardinal fans when he left. McCutcheon uh, 
never did that. He, he, he left because of a trade, didn't want to go, makes his home in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's just beloved. And he's one of the, it's not uh, hyperbole to suggest that he's one of the all-time great Pittsburgh Pirates in team history. And here he is coming back for at least another year. And hopefully he, he helped lead the team to the promised land in 13, 14, 15. And I think maybe there's enough left uh, on and certainly off the field to help lead the way maybe to another renaissance for this team. And when you say it's super important to have some veteran leadership, you don't, you, you want, you want enough room for the young guys to be able to play and learn, but somebody ha has to help teach them whether it's on the field and even off the field, these guys need help learning to become big leaguers and bringing him back. Boy, does he help that process? I think so. And I think, you know, having guys like Rich Hill, a veteran, uh, and yeah. part of the rotation, Carlos Santana, the first baseman, Austin Hedges, a catcher. All these guys have a lot of experience. They've got a lot of postseason experience. And these young guys, they do need at least an example in that clubhouse. Uh, I'll give you an example. I won't name names, but last year, spring training, early on here, I walked into the clubhouse and there was loud music on which, you know, most clubhouses have. And I was struck by it uh, because it was still early in spring training. And, uh, you know, once the regular season starts, you, of course, have music in the clubhouse. But I wondered who was the DJ. And I asked somebody and I found out that it was someone in the organization, a player who had not sniffed the big leagues. And so here's someone that's determining what is being played in a major league clubhouse who has not even sniffed the big leagues, that triple A, let alone. And I thought to myself, this is not right. Um, you know, there are still some things that in, in our society that I think are a kind of proper protocol. And I think that's still one of them. Did you have to have a little veteran status? And uh, that's just a very tiny, small example. But that nobody's fault. It's just that there's nobody kind of lead. Nobody had a, a track record, a resume. And now they've brought in a handful, including McCutcheon, who uh, will kind of let guys know which way to walk, you know, if you're a rookie. Uh, or even guys that have had uh, some experience. There's just a, a proper way to go about your business professionally. I, I think it serves a team well in any sport to kind of know the pecking order uh, and still have fun because I get blowback from people that ah, you're, you're the old man that you know, get off my lawn baloney uh, you know I, 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 I hear that but I'm also the one that believes that there's still something to be said about tradition and knowing history and knowing your place uh, at the dining room table and uh, I think that those veterans will do that for the younger players. I mean, there is no question. I'm, I know normally we don't talk about we're going to find out who's the DJ of the group, but the reality is somebody's got to set the rules. Somebody has to be the adult at the yeah. table. And if you don't have that guy, like even last year, we were terrible last year, but there's a reason why we had Stephen Vogt here. 
Stephen yeah. Vogt was the guy that was, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. And Stephen Vogt talked to guys not only about baseball, he talked about finances. He talked about how to dress, how to act. I mean, that that, that plays into how do we go from being young, dumb, and not good to getting better in our careers and becoming successful and winning at this level. There's a process to it, and you need veteran guys, and it's good that uh, Pittsburgh's going to have a few of those guys. We're going to be rooting for you. I, I need to ask you, you know, going back, people need to know that, you know, not only did you do AAA games for the Pirates back in Buffalo, but you were part of the Bills broadcast. Uh, just have, how happy are you for their success once again? And a new stadium is going to be coming for them and the great fans of the Buffalo Bills. Well, I'm thrilled for them. I, I still stay in touch with some people in the organization. I still, uh, they, they hold a, a very dear, uh, important place in my heart, even though I'm a, I'm, I'm a Pittsburgher, really. When all is said and done, uh, I, I love the Bills story. And uh, it's been uh, tough going really since those Super Bowl runs. And it's great to see them now turn the corner. And I, what my hope is, and, uh, you know, I talked to Bills fans and, and, and maybe that's kind of creeping into my mindset, the fear that, uh, that, that, that we've seen kind of the best. I hope that's not the case. I hope they still stay the course. Uh, so I, I don't want any. I don't want any coaching changes. I don't want any personnel changes uh, because that's what made the Bills great. I tell people, and I believe this, that people at the Pirates that I think great organizations stay the course. Maybe going back, Chris, to that point about tradition and um, uh, knowing your place, knowing what works and what doesn't. Teams that are constantly changing personnel are constantly just spinning their wheels and they're normally not winning. But teams that have stability in their ownership, like the Steelers, the Rooney family have owned the Steelers for 70 years or whatever it is. And they've stuck, you know, with Bill Cowher, Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, and now Mike Tomlin, and they stay the course. And that's what I want the Bills to do because after when I, when I left, the, the, the team was, was going downhill after, you know, Ralph Wilson sold the team and Bill Polian left and Marv Levy was gone. I think they started spinning their wheels. Up. I feel like they're back again. And I, I want them to stay the course and stabilize this franchise, keep going. And I look forward to hopefully seeing them uh, in the Super Bowl again soon. Uh, you mentioned a name that I love. I got to do a lot of shows with Bill Polian. He's a great man. And uh, yeah, I, by the way, at the at this year out of Pebble Beach, Josh Allen was there. I had to look it up. I mean, he's huge, 6'5", oh. 40. But I got to tell you, it was hilarious. Out at Pebble Beach in Spyglass, two of the greatest courses in the world, watching a bunch of people in Buffalo Bills jerseys <laughs> mafia at Pebble Beach was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Were there any card tables out and about? Folding no. chip tables. No? That no would have been great. No one was That would be great if they – <laughs> yeah, if they set that up along the outer edge of the greens, would have been great. Somebody makes a putt, jump up, boom. That would have been great. Bill's Mafia taking Bill's Mafia is the best. Oh, it was incredible. Well, my friend, we always love having you on. And, of course, when you raise the Jolly Roger, we play it all the time here on uh, the A's Radio Network and on A's Cast Live. So, hopefully you win a lot of games and we can play the call. Be well there in, in Florida, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Katie, welcome to Ace Cast Live. How are you? 
I'm great. I'm, I'm, I hear a happy birthday is in order. Well, thank you very much. We're rained out in Arizona. Hard to believe. How has the weather been for you guys in Florida? Well, I'm at the World Baseball Classic right now. Oh. I'm at this dome at Lone Depot Park. I have no idea what time of day it is or what the weather is like. <laughs> How much are you enjoying the WBC and covering it? You know, I always said before I got a chance to cover it professionally that the World Baseball Classic was one of my favorite events just to watch as a fan. And it has, I think, certainly lived, lived up to the expectations. I mean, the atmosphere here is electric. The, the teams in Pool D, the fan bases just the, the embrace of, of each country and each culture. It's been so special to see. You know, the one thing that, that I don't like, because I think a lot of us already know going in, we know what it is. This is not going to be all in. We're going to grind pitchers this early, potentially where guys could mm-hmm. get injured. We're trying to grow the game. Whenever I see the clips from Taiwan or Japan and the fans having a great time, how special it is, Shohei Otani hits a home run and everybody's passing the ball in the outfield. So, so everybody gets cool. Touch. Yeah, I mean, we're growing the game. So as someone who's, who's covering right now, when you hear that there's people that are negative about it, what do you say to the people who have their questions about the WBC? I understand, especially for uh, Team USA perspective, that, okay, it's not the stars. Some stars are opting out because they, they're they ramping up in spring, and I get that. But to me, this tournament is about exactly what you said, Tony. It's about growing the game. And you see how these cultures, I mean, I'm so lucky to see the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, yeah. uh, Israel, Nicaragua even turned out so heavily for this tournament here in Pool D. And to see the way that baseball is played, for each country, I think allows us as fans and those who cover the game to appreciate it a little bit more. We have a, we see a lot of gripes uh, during the MLB season about how different players celebrate home runs or strikeouts. But then you see how they celebrate with their country and their teammates. And it allows you a better understanding of why players do the different things that they do. And to me, that helps grow the game exponentially. Baseball is not just, you know, MLB. Baseball is actually one of the most universally played sports in the world and we're able to see how each country here plays it and celebrates it uh, based on what they know and i think that's just fantastic yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter what sport you play in doesn't matter what titles you've won it doesn't matter how much money you've made all these guys and gals who talk about playing for their country and playing in the olympics it gives a lot of these players that kind of feel so it doesn't matter if it's basketball it doesn't matter if it's tennis golf whenever anybody gets into the olympics they go it's it it changed changed me as a person you know football is the one sport those guys will never get that opportunity at least with the world baseball classic these guys for all these different teams will get, I mean, it's not the Olympics, but at least they'll get that feel one time in their life. Yeah, I completely agree. And you're seeing these passionate responses, even in the opening rounds. And I think it says all you need to know about this tournament and what it means to the people playing and wearing the uniform. All right. St. Louis Cardinals last year had a terrific year, but boy, did it end fast. And it was, it was not good. Right. And the Phillies go on and they go on to the world series. So how is Cardinal nation feeling going into this year? You know, I think Cardinals fans are a little trepidatious and rightfully so. I mean, you had things go so well for the Cardinals in 2022. You had an MVP in Paul Goldschmidt. You had Yadier Molina's final year. You had Albert Pujols come back. And not only did he come back, but he resembled the Albert Pujols as Cardinals fans knew him for the first (laughs) decade of his career, right? He was 42 years old, and he looked like what I remember him doing as a child. Um, 
And then, of course, there was kind of the infamous meltdown in the wild card series. Now, the Cardinals did not make a lot of uh, moves over the offseason, with the exception of Wilson Contreras. Obviously, they needed to add a catcher with Yadier Molina retiring. Contreras seemed to be a two, bir or two birds, one stone kind of deal. They got the catching help that they needed, and they got a big power bat that they can put behind Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. So the reason the Cardinals didn't make any really a lot of moves outside of that is that the front office believes they have all the pieces they need to succeed now. And certainly when you look at the names I mentioned, like Goldschmidt, Arenado, you have Lars Newbar, who's become an international sensation yes. uh, playing in Japan. Tyler O'Neill is coming back from a healthy year. Jack Flaherty's coming back for, uh, and looking for a healthy year as well. Those are the names that they're banking on, and that's kind of why they didn't make a lot of offseason moves. But that does leave Cardinals fans maybe wanting a little bit more. But we'll see. Certainly the Cardinals are in a good position come the trade deadline to make any moves be lacking then. I'm going to be real interested when Newt Bar comes back because once we start seeing him giving the pregame speech to Team Japan, right, when he starts to kind of become a, a, a social media uh, star, what it will be like for him when he comes back. And we know how great the Cardinal fan base is. I, I think the reaction to him and all these different ballparks when they travel will be very interesting. What do you think? I think the way, the reason Lars Newbar is able to be so successful with these kinds of things is because he is just so naturally charismatic. I mean, he is the, he keeps the clubhouse light. There's a lot of intense competitors in that Cardinals clubhouse. There's Nolan Arenado, Adam Wainwright, um, Paul Goldschmidt. Those are all guys that keep things very tight very cardinal way, if you will. Lars Newbar comes in, and he's kind of the fun guy. He's the guy that gets everyone to laugh when they don't want to. He keeps things relaxed. I mean, he lived with Nolan Arenado. And to me, you could not pick two opposite personalities to be living together than Lars Newbar and Nolan Arenado, but Nolan loves his energy. So Lars going overseas and having that success both on the field and off the field, to me, that's just who he is. Um, I think it'll be interesting. Lars Newbar does have a, a great chance to advance and he has a lot to gain this season i mean he only has a little bit of a year of service time and the cardinals are counting him to play every day so big opportunity for lars newbar and he's certainly off to a good start for team japan well arnado leaving coors field and proving to everybody what a great player he is i i think no question is going to have a plaque in cooperstown someday he's one of the greatest third basemen who has ever lived he's got all that he's got platinum gloves gold gloves 10 straight gold gloves he's got the power he's done everything and then Paul Goldschmidt, hard to believe he finally won an MVP award at age whatever it is, 35. I mean, to have the MVP and the guy who finishes third in the race, I mean, the, the two corners, just talk about how special it is there in St. Louis. Oh, yeah, and what's even more special is I think that they're actually really good friends. They we, they joke that they do everything together. It's They go back-to-back -back often. They actually hit their first home runs of the spring back to back so the running joke at least for me is that they're just kind of like best friend goals but certainly those are the two cornerstones that as a franchise you build around Nolan Arnado not opting out declining his last opt-out clause means he's going to a cardinal until at least 2027 Paul Goldschmidt has two years left on his deal there has not been any talks at least to my knowledge of an extension but it's hard to imagine Goldschmidt finishing any his career anywhere but St. Louis those are the kinds of guys that make up championship caliber ball clubs. The Cardinals have not won a World Series since 2011, and I know I'm going to get some eye rolls from different fan bases, but that's a long time for this franchise. Uh, they've had some success, of course. No, I know. I know it's happening. I go on the NL Central podcast all the time, and Reds fans yeah. email me, like, seriously, and I get it. I do. Oh, you poor St. Louis Cardinal fans. I fit. You know what? That's what we're going to do. The rest of my birthday, I'm going to be like, man, I feel bad for you people. You haven't won since 11. <laughs> oh. 
I know it makes me laugh too, but you know, that's the standard that these guys are yeah. looking to. I mean, you know, Goldschmidt and Arnado also have never won a world series in their career. That's certainly a big reason why they wanted to come to St. Louis, a team that's more or less in contention every single season. So as much as they have writing on for personal expectations, their team expectations are just as heavy. Yeah. We always think about the New York Yankees, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the, the San Francisco Giants, all those mm-hmm. years, even the A's from Philadelphia to Oakland. We have a bunch right. of World Series titles. But the Cardinals' consistency, I don't think people understand on the East Coast or the West Coast. I don't think they understand how big the Cardinals' fan base is because the Cardinals' fan base goes all the way down into Texas. It reaches throughout the entire Midwest. It is just massive, truly one of the great franchises. Uh, when I look at two guys, Walker and Wynn, these prospects coming up, mm-hmm. Walker's a big 6'5 guy that hits a ton of home runs. Wynn is this shortstop. So we've always known the Cardinals, the Redbirds, to bring players up. Are these the next two great guys that we should all be looking at, especially for a lot of people out there who play fantasy baseball? Absolutely. You know, Mason, when I think we'll start with him, he's definitely not going to make the opening day roster. And the expectation wasn't that he would, Um, you know, he's never played above double A, but he definitely seemed to be much more advanced than I think maybe media and fan expectations and player development this spring. He's played a lot. I think, you know, he's a lot closer to the big leagues than maybe his initial picture. Jordan Walker, though, I think has every chance to make the opening day roster out of camp. He is an impressive five-tool talent. He's considered one of the top prospects in baseball. Um, The Cardinals have always been pretty sturdy about not promoting their top prospects unless they've earned a chance or an opportunity to play every single day. What Jordan Walker has been doing offensively, defensively, his poise, his mannerisms, to me, he looked like he's straight up won an opening day spot. Um, Of course, there's still roughly two weeks of spring to go, and lots of things can happen between now and then. But if I'm the Cardinals and I'm looking at Jordan Walker and what he's done this spring and every test that they've thrown at him, to me, here's your opening day, somewhat corner outfield, either left field or right field. Well, you think about the pitching staff, and Wainwright could have easily said, I'm going out with Yachty, I'm going out with Albert, and he went, whoa, 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 I'm not done yet. And I know it, I know the last month wasn't great for him, but I believe he's 41 years old. He wants to go out when he wants to go out. He's truly been one of the great pitchers of his time. If I see anything that we look at with the Cardinals that may be a problem, Would you say it's the starting staff? I would, and that's because there's just so many questions involving health with these guys. The Cardinals projected starting five is Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, Jordan Montgomery, and Stephen Matz in no particular order. Seriously, they have have yet to decide what order these guys are going to be throwing in. And those are all five veteran talents with respectable service times, and they've been around the league with a pretty considerable reputation. But there are some injury concerns and there are some age concerns. You know, the Cardinals don't have that true number one ace caliber starting pitcher that most playoff caliber teams have. What they do have are four to five quality options that can throw every single day. They're probably not going to scare you. But you do know that if you throw any of those five guys out, you have a reasonable chance for a quality start. When you have the offense that they're projected to do, you can get away with that. I think the game changer for this rotation is a healthy Jack Flaherty. He could be that ace. It has been a minute since the Cardinals have seen him in that 2019 video game-esque performance that he put on where he established himself as one of the rising pitchers in the National League. But he's been hampered by injuries for two years. This is Jack's last year before he's eligible to be a free agent. He's got a lot riding on him this season, but... The Cardinals, one of the big reasons they did not go out and get a starting pitcher this season is because they believe in what Jack Flaherty can do. So it's his chance to earn it and run with it. John Mazalak made a very interesting decision changing managers. And I don't know Marmol. I mean, you know him. I We don't. We're just seeing it from afar. But Ollie Marmol, 
Uh, it did end great last year as we started with. You've now changed your coaching staff, hitting coach, pitching coach. You've changed all that. How big of a year is this for this young manager? You know, I think it's a big year, but I don't think Ollie is doing it that way. One thing that I've, I've seemed to uh, realize about Ollie Marmel and his managing tactics is he is very even keeled. Whatever challenge is thrown at him, he weathers and he said, OK, that's baseball. Um, the losing the hitting coach and the pitching coach and Mike Maddox and Jeff Albert, of course, wasn't necessarily expected from the front office, but they feel really comfortable in who they've added in Turner Ward, a longtime MLB hitting coach, and Dusty Blake, who the organization considers to be a rising star in pitching development. So for Ollie Marmel, it's the same old keep the honesty, keep the composure in the clubhouse. One thing that he really thrived on last season was incorporating kind of a versatile lineup. You rarely saw Ollie use the same lineup twice in two days. That's also because the Cardinals have a bit of a luxury in their infield. They have a ton of versatile pieces that can play multiple positions. So I'm expecting more of the same for Ollie Marmel, which was just constant managing the chaos, which I guess is pretty much what a manager's job description is anyway. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're, we're big fans of The Athletic. We have a lot of people on the show on a regular basis from The Athletic. I tell everybody, you want great journalism in sports, and it doesn't. We're just not talking baseball. You football, basketball, soccer, you name it, all the major sports. The athletic is second to none, and I think, especially during the WBC, you guys have absolutely killed it. You've been so much better than MLB.com. If people have been interested and they want all the stories, you guys have been second to none. So continue the great work. We truly appreciate it as baseball fans. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to the A's coming to St. Louis this year. It'll be great. You take care. Be well. Katie Wu covering the Cardinals and the WBC for uh, for the Athletic. We'd like to thank Jesse Rogers, the Cowboy Jeff Brantley, Jeff Levering, Greg Brown, and Katie Wu for stopping by A's Cast Live and previewing the NL Central. Now back to A's Cast powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.